Welcome to episode 10 of the Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Dr. Molly Estes interviews Dr. Abina Akumea on her journey through emergency medicine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Wisdom Podcast from the Women in Emergency Medicine Division of AAEM. My name is Molly Estes, and I am very pleased to have with us today Dr. Abena Akomea joining us to share her personal experience and her journey through medicine thus far. Welcome, Dr. Akomea. Thank you so much for having me on here, Molly. It's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about us yourself. Sure. So like you said, I'm Abana Komea. I'm currently an adjunct professor, assistant professor of emergency medicine at University of Maryland. University of Maryland has multiple community sites, and I work at one of the uh, community sites called Prince George's Hospital. And at that site, I serve as the educational director, as well as a simulation director. So, you know, the educational director, more or less, I'm the clerkship director for fourth-year medical students from Ross University uh, School of Medicine in the Caribbean. I'm also in charge of the emergency medicine uh, residents from University of Maryland who rotate at our site, and the family medicine and internal medicine residents who also rotate at um, the hospital. Wow, that is a lot of hats to wear. (laughs) I feel like you're probably the perfect thread of education students, residents, and everybody else in between. It's, it's been a, a learning experience. I assumed this role last year. Prior to that, I did my medical school training at George Washington University and you know went to Carolina's Medical Center for residency. And then I joined University of Maryland as a medical education fellow. It's a fellowship program led by Dr. Amol Matu, so I learned a ton with him. And I also did the ASEP teaching fellowship. So Within two years of finishing fellowship, I had the opportunity to become the educational director, and I've definitely been learning the one step at a time, but it's been a fun experience. That's incredible. So tell us, when you're not at the hospital saving lives, what do you do? What are your hobbies or side interests? That is a great question. I am a newlywed. (laughs) Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. So I got married seven months ago in August, so... We had planned the big wedding and of course COVID hit and we were like, do we postpone? Do we move on with our lives? And we just had a very small intimate ceremony outdoors, which was beautiful weather, perfect. So I am, you know, easing into uh, married life right now. And outside of that, I also enjoy, you know, being outdoors. I'm excited that we are finally having some warm weather here in Maryland. And I'm really into health and wellness and fitness, specifically what's it called, plant-based nutrition. So I'm always like picking up new recipes, listening to podcasts, or catching up with friends and family. All right. So I have to ask a follow-up question to this one. For all those other new or planning to be new newlyweds, any advice? Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, I would say definitely be very patient, make time, protect time with your partner, right? So I think um, as clinicians, we are great at putting our all into our work, right? But make sure that you carve out time to spend with your significant other and then be patient because, you know, it's a long road. Take time to get to know each other. Don't be so hard on each other and enjoy enjoy the process. (laughs) 
time and patience, two things that we're maybe not instinctively good at in emergency <laughs> medicine, but very, very important. Yes. So what is it about medicine that inspired you to become a physician, specifically emergency medicine? That's a very good question. I would say maybe three things. I would say that the seed was planted in me by my parents, of course, before I even knew what a doctor was. I wanted to be a doctor and I think it was just them just saying, you're going to be a doctor. And I had no idea what that was, but then luckily <laughs> I found it, you know, fascinating. I enjoy the intellectual stimulation that comes with it. I'm always very curious about health and the human body. And then what drew me specifically to emergency medicine was just a variety of clinical cases that we get to work on. And the fact that I can see anybody without turning them away. I like that I don't have to, you know, turn people away because they can't pay or they're underinsured or I don't feel comfortable treating that condition. So I just, I just like that variety. And I also like that camaraderie within the specialty and the breadth of the specialty. We have people in, you know, various niches. I didn't even know that aerospace was like a fellowship that you can pursue after emergency medicine. So just like the different things that we can get into within the specialty and the people that we are exposed to, I think it's a wonderful specialty. I share your love of that breadth of exposure as mm-hmm. well as that collegiality yes. and collaboration. I was working clinically yesterday and it was a really fun moment to be able to stand in the department with my specialist next to me and both of us kind of looking at each other, shrugging our shoulders well, I don't know what's going on. Maybe we should ask somebody else. (laughs) And it's just, uh, you don't find that kind of spirit and environment very many other places in the hospital. Exactly. And it definitely keeps you on your toes. It keeps you learning. It keeps you humble, right? And I intentionally chose to work in in a community that's um, very underserved. So I feel like the need is great. And I enjoy being that person to help meet that need. Absolutely. Now, The farther I get along in my career, the more that I realize how important mentorship was. And this is something I wish I would have clued into a little bit earlier on in my residency training. And so I ask you this question, fully intending to learn from your experience, but who are your mentors or are currently your mentors in the field? How many do you have and how do they help you shape your career? I remember two uh, female mentors that really stand out in my journey here. Um, The first was Dr. Malika Fair. She is the Senior Director of Health Equity Partnership and Programs for the AAMC. And just her being, you know, an EM attendant and being on faculty at George Washington, just seeing her as a female, as a person of color, I was like, oh, I could could be an EM doctor because I see another female doing that. And then one of our deans, and she's actually the uh, senior associate dean for diversity and inclusion at George Washington University. She was one of the deans that was very engaged with the students. And she also was an EM doctor. So very early on as a medical student, I was like, okay, these people work clinically. They're also involved in medical education. They're also involved in mentorship and health disparities work. And so just seeing those people there made the emergency medicine specialty a possibility for me. So that's how I, I, you know, I knew nothing about emergency medicine. I thought I would go into pediatrics, to be honest with you. And then third year hit and I was like, ah, I think I want people who are actually a little bit sicker (laughs) and I want to deal with adults. And I emailed Dr. Malika and she sat me down and, you know, we went through what the specialty is about, where the programs are. And I literally just followed in her footsteps. I would say currently... 
I have a sponsor and for a mentor, but I would say I have a sponsor at the moment. And it's actually a, a male, white male who has kind of poured into me since I joined the department at Prince George's. And I call him a sponsor because he identifies opportunities and leadership opportunities for me and kind of pushes me out of my comfort zone. So he realized I like simulation. We don't we don't have a simulation program at Prince George's Hospital. It's like, why don't you create one, right? And I do, I'm also pursuing a master's at Hopkins in health professions education. So using that knowledge um, and having his back end, I've been doing that. And he also kind of pushed me into this leadership opportunity. So I enjoy having him as a sponsor. And definitely, I still keep in touch with my mentors in medical school. And because I've benefited so much from mentorship, I have been always eager to mentor the incoming residents and any medical student that reaches out to me. That's incredible. And so important to have those people in your life who do push you to do the uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. It's it reminds me of uh, all of those high school coaches out there who are saying, you know, do the laps until it hurts. And you're yes. like, oh, it hurts so good. I know this is going to be good for me in the long run, but oh, this is painful in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For everyone who's ever been pushed, you might be listening to this. How do you get over that first initial maybe thought or gut reaction of, oh, I don't think I can do this? That's a really great question. I think we are used to dealing with life and death situations as physicians that I tend to see these opportunities outside of that. So I always ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? Right? Someone is not going to die if I, you know, if I don't start the program properly. Right. So always what's the worst that can happen. And I enjoy the challenge. Right. So the best that can happen is that you fall on your face and you learn how not to fall or you learn how to ask for help, or you actually succeed, right? So when being pushed, um, if you feel like you've reached a limit, definitely ask for help. But, you know, see it as, you know, studying for the MCAT or studying for the USMLE and reach out for help, use the resources to, you know, to meet the challenge. And the worst that can happen is someone would not die in the process. You would create something that will benefit other people in the process. I love that. Just putting it into a little bit of perspective of, well, even if I don't do as well as I would have thought, you know, it's still going to be okay. I've still got, I'm moving in the right direction. Exactly. That that helps. That Mm -hmm. definitely helps. So just to switch gears a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to ask one of our more serious questions we like to ask all of our interviewees for this program, which is, can you Think of a time or tell us about a time in your career thus far when you felt that you were not taken seriously, uh, for whatever reason that might be. How did you resolve the situation? Um, How did this conflict maybe help you learn something about yourself or grow? Yeah, and that's a very important question, especially for, for female physicians, as well as people who are underrepresented in medicine, period. I think medicine is used to seeing males being the clinicians or the people in power. And as we increase more female presence and leadership in medicine, I think that stereotype has to change. I think I struggle with this the most as a resident, an introvert. I am quiet and, you know, my culture, very respectful. Thank you, please. Like, I don't speak over people. I try not to speak over people. And I realized that maybe the EM culture or the American culture, we respect people who are loud and extroverts and assertive. 
And I realized I was, you know, in my evaluations, people were beginning to equate my quietness for passiveness or not being confident or not knowing what I was doing. And um, that kind of, you know, it bothered me. And so one of the feedbacks that my mentors gave me was, why don't you ask at the end of each shift, what specifically are you, am I doing that demonstrates lack of knowledge or lack of confidence, right? And if there's something that's truly there, then I can work on those things versus just a general comment. So I think that definitely helped. And I also had to find ways to show my confidence and show my knowledge in areas that maybe were, was not natural needed to know that. So, you know, I, you know, began trying to speak up more just so that I would not be passed off as not knowing what I was doing. And then I was often confused for the nurse or confused for the tech or, you know, so I had to wear my white coat more often and always reintroduce myself as a physician and, and not take it too personal, right? I think, again, that's what the... That's, that's what the system has been for years, right? And it's changing and it's going to take some time, but it's okay to kind of reassert yourself like, hey, I'm the physician taking care of. I know you thought I was the nurse. This is your nurse to kind of reintroduce yourself. So I think those experiences kind of encouraged me to look at student like learner evaluations from a different perspective, right? Not all learners are going to show up your knowledge by being the loudest and the most confident so I have a soft spot for learners who are quiet and introverted, and I find ways to tell them, you know, to, hey, I know you know what you're doing. Find a way to show me your knowledge. Find a way to show me your skill. And I'm very careful not to be biased when I am I'm evaluating them. That is so important because there's nothing worse than feeling as if you are being judged for your personality as mm-hmm. opposed to your actual skills, whether that's medical knowledge or procedural or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And you're 100% correct. Our implicit bias, particularly in the field of emergency medicine, where you have to be the loudest one oh, in yeah. the loud code, really predisposes us to looking over the quieter person on the team. So that is a truly incredible observation and one that I think we could all remind ourselves of more long-term, particularly anyone in academics who we're responsible for those quieter students and quieter residents and responsible for making them feel as if they belong and not that they have to change who they are in order to belong. Exactly. And, And emphasizing that, you know, when it comes to a code or a trauma, you definitely have to speak up to be heard. And even in your quietness, you can still assert leadership, but you have to be you know, clear and loud and direct to people who know who is leading the code or leading the trauma. So I learned to balance that and to push myself. Absolutely. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So switching gears again to the elephant in the room for the past 13 months. Talk to us about COVID. How has the pandemic affected you? Has it affected your hospital or has it changed your perspective on medicine at all? How have you been coping with last year? Oh yeah. I remember in March, you know, of last year or end of February, March of last year being glued to CNN as, you know, we we're watching what was unfolding in New York and, and what was unfolding in Italy and hearing about physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists dying. And I was scared, just like many of my colleagues were. 
And I remember having my first ever panic attack driving to work. I've never had a panic attack before, but I was like, I can't breathe. Like, do I have COVID? I'm like, okay, you know, calm down. And I was like, I probably don't, I don't have COVID. It was just the anxiety of, you know, and I was going into work and I was going to see primarily COVID patients. And I think the beauty of emergency medicine is that we, we learn to adapt and we are trained to deal with all emergencies, including this pandemic. And we have the camaraderie of our colleagues to kind of push us through this. So, you know, and we had very strong leadership at the hospital that kind of prepared and made sure we have all the PPE that we needed to address this. So I think in the beginning stages, I found myself like, you know, literature dive, learning everything I could learn about COVID and providing that information to my colleagues as the educational director. But then it became our new normal, right? And then, you know, after that, we kind of saw the evidence of burnout, right? All we did was COVID and we didn't do anything else outside of COVID. But I think what this has highlighted for me is that you know, emergency medicine clinicians are extremely well trained. They're versatile. They are they can adapt to any situation. So I'm glad I'm in the right profession. It is also how the importance of defining yourself outside of medicine as well, right? It's important to not have your entire identity as an EM doctor, right? We are wives. We are mothers. We are brothers and sisters and whatnot, right? So making sure that you also develop that part of your of your life because your clinicians, some hospitals definitely lost income, lost patients and hours were cut. Some people unfortunately lost their jobs. And for me, it's also had the importance of, you know, having other sources of income in addition to emergency medicine. Now I'm, you know, I'm new, I'm, you know, new in the field of like financial literacy, trying to learn about all those things. But I think it's very important that we because we're usually the primary breadwinners for our household. So it's important that we find other ways, in addition to emergency medicine, to supplement our income so that in the event that, you know, ours are cut or whatever, we, our family is not suffering tremendously. And then lastly, it's important to be aware of things like burnout or anxiety or depression setting in and reach out to professionals or family Take care of yourself, right? We are still human. We are not immune to mental health issues. We are not immune to, you know, actual health issues, right? I think as clinicians, we sometimes don't take care of ourselves. We don't eat well, we don't exercise well, and we don't seek help when we are struggling. So it's important for us to do all those things, even more so now. I couldn't agree more. I'm dreading the day when we finish our analysis of entire event and we see the true numbers of just how many people are dealing with depression and anxiety and true PTSD from a lot of what we have all been through. And you are a hundred percent correct. We're not superheroes. We're just human like anybody else. And we're not through this yet. A lot of us are seeing light at the end of the tunnel. I'm very grateful to be able to say that my hospital has been a dramatic dive in our COVID numbers over the last four mm-hmm. to six weeks. Yes. It's wonderful. We yeah. finally have a little bit of breathing room. Yeah. And then you read the news articles about the variants now being on the rise and cases are popping back up with those. So it's important that we don't see this room to breathe as the end, but instead use it as a moment to regroup. Yes. Um, and so for some of us, myself included, who have found our wits end um, over the last few months, 
uh, it's a chance to reassess. So thank you for the call to take care of ourselves. Yeah, it's really important. It is. Now for those residents or young faculty who might see in you exactly what you saw in your mentor, somebody who is in the position that they wish to hold someday, what advice would you have for them um, for getting involved, um, for deciding on your career uh, trajectory? What could you look back on and tell your earlier self that you wish you would have known? Yeah, I would say that don't be afraid to ask questions and make mistakes during residency. That's the time for that. And then, you know, as you move on to your junior year and your senior year, I guess second or third year or third or fourth year, depending on what program you're at, start to explore a niche for yourself. I think often projects or scholarly work that is pursued during residency ends up being what you... Uh, becomes your main focus in the first few years of your attendant life. For example, I believe as a second year resident, I began working to establish a health disparities um, elective at Carolinas to help uh, increase the number of minority uh, residents that we had. And it was successful. And, you know, I currently serve as the chair of the diversity and inclusion committee at the University of Maryland Emergency Medicine, right? So, you know, definitely, you know, first your residency, you're just trying to survive trying to figure out, you know, how to sleep and study and work. But by second year or third year, definitely push yourself to see what else is out there. Um, What else picks my interest? Can I pursue my scholarly work outside of graduation? And then think of, you know, how do you give back and and reach back? Um, I began mentoring through EMRA, a medical student when I was a resident, and continue to mentor. And it, it, it helps bring balance to our profession, I think it helps combat burnout when, in addition to doing clinical work, you're also pouring into the next generation. So those are the things that I will, I will definitely say. And then, again, don't don't forget who you are. Don't forget that you're human. Don't forget to pour into the things that make you happy, your interests and your hobbies, your family. Carve out protected time and space for those things that make you who you are. Our final question for today, but certainly not least. What are some things that inspire you? What gives you hope for our future in emergency medicine? Yeah, emergency medicine is still a very young specialty. And I like how innovative this specialty is and how we are not afraid to address some of the, uh, you know, the tricky, challenging, controversial issues in society now. You know, for example, I always say the, the ER is a reflection of society, right? So We've definitely, through our various national organizations, various committees within it, you know, address things like health disparities, unequal, unequal pay, racism. And we've also taken the lead in finding innovative ways to practice medicine, telemedicine, right? So I, I just like the, the breadth and depth of skill and innovation that people in emergency medicine bring. And I think that we are going to be part of the solution to some of the troubles in the healthcare system in the U.S. So I'm glad I'm part of this specialty. I am glad that I am connected to people who are innovative and are part of creating solutions to the problems that we face today. Dr. Akameya, thank you so much again for joining us for this newest edition of our Wisdom Podcast. It has, again, been a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for sharing with us some of your 
life experiences and hard fought and won knowledge. Thank you so much, Molly. This was a great conversation. I learned a lot and looking forward to joining you guys in the future again. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under Resources and then Publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.